0: I heard you, Reb. I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> okay, excellent, excellent. Alrighty. So uh, tonight we begin the uh, the fourth of the principles. This is the principle which is known as uh, God's eternity. Uh, the Rambam uh, emphasizes. Uh, he says, mean, the language of the Rambam in the when he formulated this principle this is his principle number four, ha'amur that the uh, unity the one God which we have been discussing who so he is absolutely eternal and that's the, uh, the main thing the Ram doesn't really elaborate on this. he actually says that rabos. that the proofs to this principle, the fact that God is eternal, uh, is something which there are many psukim which go ahead and uh, demonstrate this to be true. And he doesn't bother really quoting what those, uh, those psukim are, but that is this principle of God's e- eternity. Now, uh, as we think about this, uh, this principle, so it will turn out, there's actually two fundamental principles which are associated, which are connected with this. And the first one is this idea that God is eternal. And it's important for us to go ahead and define what exactly we mean when we say that God is, a, is eternal. And it's something that uh, we have uh, touched upon in previous principles. The fact that God is, a, is eternal and that he exists outside of time. But uh, up until this point, so we've taken it uh, as uh, for granted. You've sort of allowed me to go ahead and make that assertion that god exists out outside of time and uh we never really explained what the what, what that means so let's uh explore a little bit what that means and uh for you science people who are there so you'll go ahead and you'll correct me with uh, the mistakes that uh if i if i make mistakes so uh time uh is an, uh, not an accident but it's a consequence of motion time is really going to be measured by change of something physical or motion of things. Would that be okay, Mel? You'll let me go with that. You got, you got to unmute. You're saying yes, thumbs up. Good enough, okay. So that's going to be something, it's going to be the motion of things or the relative change of, of, of things. And from that perspective, so time cannot exist without some physical object. Physical objects are going to be at least the way that we're going to be able to measure time, or that's the way that time is going to be uh, is going to be uh, uh, appraised. And therefore, um, if time is a consequence of physical matter, of change of physical matter, so you can't really have time before you have physical matter. Those two things don't uh, they they can't uh, have that. Uh, they they can't it, it cannot be. So therefore, when we say God is eternal we don't mean that God exists in time, but he was just there at the beginning of time that will extend till the end of the timeline. Sometimes in English, if if we were to hear the thing eternal, so that means that it has always existed and will always exist within the timeline, but it's still something which exists within time. When we go ahead and we emphasize that God is eternal, this whole principle, of God's eternal nature, it comes to emphasize that God is not first and last. And, uh, uh, but what it really means is, is that God exists outside of time altogether. And therefore this is something which is an important principle to, uh, to, to be mindful of. And the reason why this is important, one of the reasons why we emphasize this point that God exists outside of time altogether is because the animamin version of it, uh, becomes a little bit misleading. If you read the Animamin version of this particular principle, so it says, Animamin shlema, that who rishon v'hu acharon. So the translation of rishon and acharon means God is first and God is last. Now, first and last uh, seemingly puts God into the t- the, the scheme of time, puts him into the timeline, and it's just that he was the first one to show up at the shear. Somebody has to be the first one at the Zoom Zoom shear, and that person who shows up first, they may be the last one who logs off of the shear. So as far as the shear is concerned, that person's presence is eternal. They were first and they were last. But it doesn't say anything about whether or not they existed before the shear or after the shear. So therefore, the uh, the Rav of Weinberg, who we've quoted many times, when he talks about God's eternal nature, nature, he says that the formulation of the animamin, which was not written by the Rambam himself, it was a summary written by others, by somebody else, but that's a little bit misleading because first and last, Rishon and Akron sounds like it's within, the, time, within the, uh, the, uh, the timeline. And the truth is, is that he's not within the timeline at all. He's like he exists outside of time altogether. Okay, now, once we go ahead and we accept this. Yeah, Prince is a question which um, I'm not sure that we've, uh, we've ever discussed in, in Shul over all, uh, over all of these years, but it's something which uh, I see from uh, my notes has been bothering me for a good 25, 27 years or so, this, uh, th- this question. And that is that when we say that, the, if we uh, take this, uh, this principle, that God exists outside of time, that means that there's no such thing from God's perspective of past present or future the way we see events unfolding in history the way we see or anticipate how the events of the next week or week and a half are going to unfold and what's that going to do to the country and where the country is going to be afterwards Mm -hmm. so all of that perspective is seeing how things are going to fall into place with the passage of time so we who live within the timeline so that's how we, we perceive things. We remember things from the past. We experience things in the present and we anticipate and probably more worry about things which are going to happen in the in, in the future. But from God's uh, perspective, if he exists outside of time, so there's no such thing as events unfolding. Because unfolding implies somehow that there is a sequence of events. Sequence means there's something which is first, something which is second, and something which is third. If from God's perspective there's no such thing as time, and He exists outside of time, so there's no past, present, or future. Everything is sort of seen and in a single uh, a, a single uh, perspective, a single uh, a single view. So now, so this. Uh, uh, gives us a little bit of insight into the way uh, Navua works, before we get to the question. But this gives us a little bit of, uh, of insight as to how exactly Navua, how exactly prophecy is going to work. Uh, we wonder, because we're very distant from, uh, from the Neveum, how, uh what, what exactly is prophecy? How does the navi have knowledge of what's going to be taking place uh, at some event in the future, which a navi has to be able to predict? with tremendous accuracy in order to be able to get his navua card or his Navua license. And uh, we, uh, and how does the Navi know what's happening elsewhere in the world? If you remember from, uh, from Shmuel HaNavi, Shmuel HaNavi would go ahead and advise people, people who had lost objects. So they would go to Shmuel HaNavi and say, I lost the sheep, can you help me find it? And Shmuel would say, "Sure, it's right over there behind uh, Walker School. If you just go over there and look at the playground at Walker School, you'll be able to find your sheep right there." So, how does Shmuel Hanavi, who lives in, uh, you know, in Yerushalayim, how would he possibly know that the person's lost sheep is over there in in Walker School? So, what we know, the little bit which we know about Navua, not that it's a, a how-to guide. But we can understand conceptually how it works, is the first thing the Rambam tells us is that in order to be a a Navi, a person has to develop their character. There's no such thing as a Navi who's not going to be somebody who's a tzaddik, don't ask me about Bilam right now, but there's no such thing as a Jewish Navi who is not developing their character and have gone through rigorous types of training uh, according to uh, Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan, probably a lot of meditative training and stuff of that sort, but a person who is on a very high spiritual level. But once they go ahead and they, uh, they do that, so one of the things which they're going to do is they are going to, uh, again, through their meditative uh, techniques and whatnot, they're going to transcend their physical limitations through their spiritual pursuits. And once they do that, they're able to rise above the physical. And if you could separate yourself from your physical or you could break out of the, the, the chains of your physical existence. So then once you're no longer uh, in, in, um, in tune with just your physical existence, you're able to see things from a spiritual level, from a spiritual perspective that takes you above the timeline. And once, you're le- once you've reached that spiritual level where you could exist, even for a short period of time outside of the timeline, so then you have a similar perspective to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that past, future, and present are all seen sort of in that same perspective, that simultaneous perspective, so you can see the Navi is going to be able to tell you what's going to happen in the future, because in that period of Nevoah, what he's experienced during that, that Navua is he's actually experiencing it in real, it's not even in real time, that would be misleading, he's experiencing it in a perspective where he's able to see things all at once, without the restrictions of a, a, of a timeline. So that is uh, so that's the, way, that's the way Navu is going to work is they're able to lift themselves above the timeline and from there they're able to see how things are, exist, past, present, and future all, all, all at once. Now if that's true, so then the question which we have to ask ourselves is, how exactly does God play the role of a judge? We know we have many uh, different uh, uh, passages in Chazal. We have many different statements and in, in thoughts, certainly around Rosh Hashanah time, Yom Kippur time, where we talk about God being a uh, the, a, a dayan, but God being a, a, a judge. And we now have to wonder if God exists outside of time. So how exactly is he going to be able to play the role of a judge? So uh, let's uh, just think about it. Uh, a few months ago, uh, uh, Tishrei Tavshin Pe So we're told that who Baruch Hu sat on His throne of judgment, and all of mankind passed before God. Biskira Achas Chazal say that with one uh, with one uh, sort of flash, and He's able to go ahead and judge everybody. So if we think about uh, God's judgment from the perspective of living out existing outside of time, so how could He go ahead and? Uh, um, issue a judgment for how the year Tuf Shin Pe Aleph is going to unfold for each of us individually, as well as each of us as part of Kla Yisrael. Judgment for the year Tuf Shin Pe Aleph, by definition, means it exists within time. Tuf Shin Pei Aleph only exists from a human perspective. Tuf Shin Pe Aleph doesn't really exist from a godly perspective, from a perspective which is, which is outside of time. So how could God go ahead and enter into Tafshin Pei Aleph or the end of Tafshin Pei and go ahead and uh, issue a judgment based on our behavior of last year of Tafshin Pei, how Tafshin Pei Aleph is going to play out for us. All of that, all of those metaphors and all of that uh, those references all imply that Karash is doing that within the human constraints of the timeline. But if we're saying now in this fourth principle, that God exists outside of time. And there is no such thing as from God's perspective of past, present, or future. So how could God ever sit in, in a, in, in a, in a, as a judge? It should be impossible for him to, to go ahead and, and do so. And in the event that he were to try and judge us at any one time, so the judgment should incorporate the totality of our existence. Because the totality of our existence should really be an inseparable unit, as far as God's perspective is concerned, and the whole concept of judgment on Rosh Hashanah becomes philosophically becomes difficult to understand how exactly that uh, th- that is going to work. So, as I said, this is a question which, back when I was in base Midrash, this was something which was already uh, we used to uh, we used to discuss and we used to uh, we used to debate. And um, so we had uh, some ideas, which uh, I'll share with you uh, now. And we're still, uh, you know, the more proofs anybody has, so the, uh, the happier it will, uh, it will be in my timeline of my existence. So if you were to tell it to me at this point, so I, would, uh, I, I will be happy by, uh, by that. But uh, in the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, when it talks about the din, when it talks about judgment in Rosh Hashanah, so the phrase Chazal say is, ain't done in Es Adam, El Alephim Maisov. This Gemara and Hashanah te So, Ain Dunin as Adam, a person is not judged El other than according to his behavior. Now, the key term in that phrase is the word Dunin. Dunin, even if you don't know too much about Aramaic, you don't know too much about uh, uh, conjugation, but the word Dunin, when you begin to think about it, is plural rather than singular. So if we're talking about God sitting as a judge, we would expect that the language of Chazal should be, no done, he does not judge as a person, other than according to their behavior. But here, strangely, the Chazal went ahead and put it in the plural, that they go ahead and the person is not judged by the judges, other than uh, according to a person's uh, behavior. So this implies that it's not simply God who is acting as the judge. He's not the only one who's involved in adjudicating our behavior and whatnot. But there actually is, and we know this to be true, we're familiar with this phrase, that there's such a thing as a basin Shomawah. There's the basin in shamayim, and the basin in shamayim, they are the ones who are really adjudicating, and they're the ones who are issuing the judgment as far as what are our Tav Pei Aleph, how that's going to unfold, what's in store for us in this particular year based on what we did in Tav Pei. And if we accept this premise, this idea that really it is the Basin Shemayla who is issuing this uh, th- this judgment rather than a Baruch Hu. So this actually matches with something that, uh, that we've uh, said a number of times in the principles up until this point. And that is the fact that uh, although there are spiritual creatures, there are malachim, and there are are the neshamas, which exist inside of each and every one of us, and malachim are in no way physical creatures, and our neshamas are in no way physical. But nonetheless, what makes them different than God, even though they're elevated above mankind, in that they don't have the constraints of physical existence. Nonetheless, they're not at the level of God because spiritual beings also exist within the timeline. There was a beginning of creation of malachim, and once there has to, they were part of creation itself. They didn't pre-date creation; they were also part of creation. So that means that they also exist within the timeline. So the base in Shomala, although they are spiritual beings who we can't physically touch and and do any of those things, but nonetheless, as spiritual beings, they are also going to be confined in time. And once we say that they're confined in time, so that means that they could exist together with us at the end of Tuft Pei, and then they could go ahead and they could adjudicate and they could issue a judgment about how our Tuft Pei Aleph is going to unfold and what exactly is going to be in store for us, because they exist within the same timeline as mankind. Now the question is, is where you take out our thumbs now. So if it's true that really it's the basin Shemala who are going ahead and they are the ones who are, who are judging things. And that's why that, that passage in the Gemara is in the plural. So then we have to say, so what's God's role? What role does God play in judgment? Because we definitely have references. We make clear references in the Gemara. We say, why do we blow the shofar? in order to shift God from the throne of judgment to the throne of mercy. We want him to go from the, 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 the throne of Din to that of compassion and that of, of Rachamim. So clearly God is playing some sort of role in the judgment over here. But what exactly does that mean? How exactly do we understand that now if we're saying that judgment is a byproduct of the timeline has to occur within the uh, the timeline, and God exists outside of that uh, timeline. So, how are we going to understand the role that God plays within the judgment of a, of an individual? So, for this, I think the uh, the Marshall, which uh, which we gave was that of a jury trial. So, uh, if you uh, 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 if you attend a, a jury trial, so the jury. Uh, are, are The jurors are going to be the ones who are going to decide, let's say it's a criminal trial, so they're going to be the ones who decide whether or not the defendant is guilty or innocent. So the, the judgment, the verdict, is going to be determined by the jury itself. So what role does the judge play? The judge doesn't really have a role in in influence, should not be influencing the jury in any way in terms of what the verdict is going to be. That has to be made exclusively in the jury room by the jurors themselves. The role of the judge in that case is to make sure that the trial is fair, to make sure that all of the evidence which is brought in is reliable, trustworthy evidence, is, is admissible evidence. His job is to make sure that uh, the lawyers don't go ahead and mislead the jurors or lie to the jurors in some way or ask uh, misleading questions, which are going to improperly influence the jurors. But the judge's job is not to issue a verdict in a jury trial. It's just to oversee the process of the trial to make sure that it, is, it, uh, that it gives the defendant a, uh, a, a fair hearing. So in the same way, God's job, being that he exists outside of the timeline, so he is not going to go ahead and be able to adjudicate. He's not going to be able to issue a verdict and say, since this is the way you behaved in Tavshin Pei, this is now going to be the consequence of that in Tavshin Pei Aleph, because that's, that's by definition outside of God's domain, because all of that would have to be within the, uh, within the timeline. Therefore, the Beis and Shamala are the one who are going to issue that verdict, but it's going to be based on the parameters set forth by Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So he is the judge in that trial, making sure that everything is k'dasu that everything is following procedure, and all of that. But it's going to be the basin Shomala which is going to actually issue the uh, the specific uh, the uh, the specific judgment because they exist together with us in that timeline of uh, uh, of existence. Okay. So all of that is point number one. Uh, Is there anything that I should uh, clarify? Or move on to point number two? Question. Yes.
1: What would be the uh, what would be the phrase in Gemara if it meant I'm trying to explore if it meant that God himself makes the judgment but it is plural judgments for each individual, several uh, components of judgment for each individual. Would it still be done in, or would it be something else?
0: Um, you would probably put done in the singular, and then you. Would, there's no plural for adam. That's one of those interesting things, that adam is singular. There's no adamim or adamot in there. But you say anashim or b'nai adam. You probably say ain't done as b'nai adam, no, I'm, I'm, as,
1: I'm asking about the judgment itself. If it were several judgments, for example, for this individual, he'll have good parnasa, but poor health. Um, yeah, several components of din for an individual person.
0: Um yeah it's interesting you might you might have to expand the sentence a lot more um, to go ahead and include that um, you're, you're suggesting that maybe the word done in isn't isn't the uh, isn't a description of the, those who are judge or judging whether singular or plural but you're talking about that each person is subject to numerous judgments right uh, health and all sorts of other things and the judgments are going on the verdicts rather than the judges.
1: Right, um, so, you, so there's no need to introduce the Bezdin uh that Hashem can still handle multiple judgments for a single individual.
0: Um, right, so uh, uh, that, that, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that, whether or not we're actually subject, is, is there one judgment, that's an interesting question see if anybody has a a thought on this, whether there's one judgment, and then that has all sorts of different ramifications, ramifications being health, Parnassa, uh, is a separate judgment, like a separate trial. Um, I would would think, right now I would think, just probably because it, it lends itself more to what I was saying before anyways, but I would think that there's going to be one judgment and then ha- that has all of those different ramifications. Um, See, I'm
1: trying to deal with the plural of dawning without introducing a jury.
0: Right, right. Very good, very good. Yeah, uh, excellent. There that, 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 that would seem to be a... Uh, a, a plausible uh, shot to the Gemara, which would not necessitate my uh, uh, this of there being a judge and a uh, and a jury or Hashem and the basin shemala. But right. very good. Okay. I cannot prove I'm correct, and I cannot prove that you're wrong, as of yet. So excellent. Okay, but maybe within this timeline, so we'll be able to. By the by, the time we get to the end of it, we'll be able to uh, to see. Okay. Now, point number two, uh, which uh, I think is emphasized over here by the, uh, by the Rambam, which certainly the commentators uh, emphasize, uh, as far as the Rambam's belief is, the idea of creation ex nihilo. Creation ex nihilo, meaning that Karsh Baruch ahead had created the world from nothing. Now, we as humans, uh, it's, uh, it's almost impossible for us to go ahead and imagine what nothing is, we think of nothing is the absence of something, but nothing is actually sort of like a, a thing in and of itself that there's nothing which is, which is there. Darkness is also a something uh, for the most part. Um, so, but uh, the, this notion that the, uh, that Hakarsh Baruch created the world from nothing is one of the more debated topics, debated philosophical topics, which have existed from the time of the, uh, the, the Greek philosophers Aristotle and Plato. And uh, the Rambam also obviously weighs in and we'll see the Abarbanel also has what to, what, what to say on this. But this is something which is also part of this process in terms of HaKadosh Baruch being the Kadmon, the language of the Rambam was, he's a Kadmon Behechon, he's the absolute first. So that means that if he's first and he's not a physical being, that means he brought physical existence into being. And he didn't have anything to work with. He didn't have any atoms. He didn't have any molecules. He didn't have a petri dish. He didn't have anything to work with to begin this process of creation. He had to create the, uh, the components necessary to then set in motion the whole process of creation and the whole, uh, the, the whole existence of the, uh, uh, of the universe. And um, the uh, Barbinell actually wonders. He said that the Barbinell points out that it's true that the, one could infer this idea of creation ex nihilo, or yesh meayin from things the Rambam has said in previous principles. We talked about it in principle number one, uh, certainly. But the, uh, the, uh, the barber now takes note of the fact that the Rambam doesn't mention it explicitly. Even in this principle, where he talks about that, 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 that uh, the Karsh uh, is the kadmon behechlet, He's the absolute first. It doesn't mean, that he doesn't say explicitly that he created yesh mayayin. We understand from the fact that he's first and he's not physical, that he must have preceded physical and he must have brought the physical world into existence. But it's not something which is said explicitly. And it's interesting, what uh, barber now points out uh, almost 400 years later is that in the Morin in the Rambam's philosophical work, he spends a, a, a great amount of time and emphasizes very strongly this concept of yesh of creation that HaKash Baruch Hu created the world from nothing. And he even calls it, in the Mara he refers to this principle of creation, yesh as yesod ha-Torah Kula. He refers to this as the foundation of the entire Torah. So you would think that something which is Yisod HaTorah Kula, something which is the foundation of the entire Torah, certainly that should get some sort of, if not its own uh, uh, principle outright. You know, I don't think it would have cost the Rambam anything more to go from 13 principles to 14 principles. I don't think he was being charged by the principle. So being that, it wasn't going to cost him anything uh, more to go ahead and put it there. And it's something which is so fundamental. So why would he not go ahead and include it uh, uh, at the very least, uh, mention it explicitly somewhere in one of these first four or five, really, one of these first five principles, this idea of yesh mayayin, of creating something from, uh, from nothing. So the barbernell says the best that he could do is he puts it, he infers it from our principle, the same way that we did. That by definition, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the kadmon, kadmon behechlet, if he's the absolute first, so that must mean that he preceded everything which is physical in this world. And the only way that he's going to be able to precede everything which is physical is he has to have created physicality. He has to have created matter. Again, putting aside all of our quantum stuff over here, whether it's energy or whether matter, it was created by God. And the barbonell goes ahead and puts it into this, uh, into this, uh, this particular principle of kadmon, which means the the Abarbanel says that the way we should really translate Kadmon, as far as the Rambam is concerned, the Rambam's perspective and his philosophy is concerned is that it means not only first, but also eternal. And eternal, like we said, being not only outside of the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the timeline, but when we put together first and eternal, that, that means that God exists not only outside of time, But God is also first in terms of all of existence. So before anything physical was ever created, was ever brought into the universe, before there was such a thing as a a universe, so God was was already there. His existence preceded everything else, everything which exists in the universe. And therefore, that must mean that he created the building blocks, the proteins or the molecules or the atoms, or however small you're gonna wanna go ahead and get as far as these things are concerned. And the principle of yesh the Barbanel says, is in the fourth principle. That's our principle now, which we are studying. Now, the Barbanel went ahead, if you look on his, in his writings, so he went ahead and cited many, many proofs that he's correct, as far as being able to put the principle of yesh into this principle of God's eternity of kadmon Behechlit that God's absolute uh, eternal I- existence. Now, it's interesting though, that in the 20th century, so, which is again, uh, five centuries after the uh, Abarbanel, 500 years after the Abarbanel, so we were uh, we're actually able to prove definitively that the Abarbanel was correct. That his assertion that the principle of Yeshmeyayin from the Rambam's perspective is part of this principle of God's eternal nature, is something which is definitively part of the Rambam's perspective, because those of you who are familiar with, uh, with the, the, the name, there was a great, I think it was Temani, but there was a great uh, Sephardi scholar called Yosef Kapach. Yosef Kapach was uh, an outstanding Talmud, Talmud Chacham, and somebody who due to his, uh, his, uh, his upbringing, his, uh, his childhood in, uh, in Arab countries, I think, so he was fluent in Arabic as well. So he was able to read uh, and he made a part of his life's work was to go ahead and read many of the Rambam's writing in the original uh, in Arabic. The only thing which the Rambam wrote in Lashon Kodesh, I don't know how many of you know this, but the only thing that he wrote in Lashon Kodesh was the Yad ha His work on Halacha was written in Lashon Kodesh. All the other things which he wrote, like the Morun and his Pirasham Mishnayis and uh, stuff of that sort. So that was written in Arabic. Because that was his audience. His audience was to speak to the masses. And the masses m- were fluent in Arabic. They spoke Arabic. And Lushan Kodesh was something which was a little bit more challenging. So the Yana Khazak is halachic work. So that was really, he saw, although it was for everybody, but that was something which was a, uh, he wanted to uh, use the language of Chazal in terms of halacha. But when he addressed philosophical matters, he went ahead, he did so in in, in the in Arabic. So one of the things which, uh, which uh, Rav Yosef Kapach did was he was able to get his hands on uh, very old manuscripts of the Rambam. And in fact, he actually got his hands on the formulation of the 13 principles written by the Rambam himself. So it actually had the Rambam's handwriting of the 13 principles. And it turns out that in the formulation of the principles as written by the Rambam himself, there's a sentence which is there, which somehow in the copying of it and in the translation of it, somehow it got lost. And we lost one particular sentence that the Rambam wrote, which, uh, which, uh, which didn't make it, maybe when Ibn Tibbin, I think is the name of the person who went ahead and translated the Rambam from the Arabic to Lushan Kodesh. So he either didn't have that the Ksaviyad, he didn't have that manuscript, or in the process, you know, just left out that line. But the additional sentence, which you have, which is actually there in the Rambam's writing, says as follows: the tra- the Hebrew translation would be, "Veda," and you should know, "Ki Torah who, that the fundamental principle of the Torah we have as given to us by Moshe Abenu, is "He Olam Ola Yitzro Hashem," is something which was. It was formed the, the world or the universe. It was formed and it was created. Uh, ahar ha ha Ha-heder is uh, he ayin dal So it's brought into existence from, heder mukhla means absolute nothingness. So the Rav actually states when he went ahead and formulated the, the 13 principles uh, originally, when he wrote them down, he did include this idea of yesh me-ayin, the Karsh Baruch was Bore v'yotzer he created informed the universe from absolute nothingness. So the speculation on the part of the Abarbanel in his analysis, in his conclusion that it must be, that this principle must be implied in the, uh, in the fourth principle of the Rambam. So it turns out that Rif Kapach went ahead and demonstrated that he was absolutely correct to, with such certainty that he ended up finding a manuscript in the Rambam's own handwriting, which proved that this was correct, that the Rambam saw the principle of Ayn as being a subset, as being part of this principle of God's eternal nature. Okay, now, with that uh, that said, so now, the principle, uh, now this is something which, uh, now we get to uh, how exactly this principle is going to impact us. So one of the things that we've talked about uh, with each one of the principles is first to understand what the idea behind the principle is and then every step along the way we've explored and we've uh, thought about why is it the Rambam says, if you remember from our introduction, that in uh, uh, in order for a person to earn their share in the world to come, they have to minimally believe in the 13 principles. In every one of the 13 principles, you have to be able to understand, one must understand, why is it that this principle is so essential to know that if a person doesn't know or if a person doesn't believe in it, that that's going to diminish from their service of God. They're not going to be able to be, Hashem. they're not going to be able to serve God properly without a clear um, uh, foundation and a clear rooting in that particular principle. So let's just... uh, uh, ask the question in this particular context of this fourth principle. If a person doesn't believe that God created the world, yesh ayin. so as we would say in Jewish, what's so geferlach? Why is it so bad if a person doesn't, uh, doesn't believe that? I certainly believe that there was a Moshe Abeydu, I certainly believe that there was an event of Harsinai where the Torah was given. I believe that the Torah was given to us from God, and he expects us to do the mitzvahs. He warned us against doing our and there'll be all sorts of rewards and punishments. I, just, I, I don't know whether or not God actively created the world, or like uh, uh, Aristotle believed, he believed in God, in, in God who was eternal, But as far as Aristotle is concerned, even though God is eternal, he also believed in the eternity of matter, that matter also existed eternally the same as God has. And it's interesting that Aristotle is willing to recognize, he acknowledges that God is a creator. God certainly is a creator of matter, helped shape and helped form the universe as it exists, but he feels that just like God's existence is eternal, so his role as creator is also eternal. So then we have to wonder, as far as Aristotle is concerned, there's no contradiction at all between God being on the one end, the source of all existence, and the eternity of matter. So you can have actually two things which coexist, which share this principle of being eternal One is God and one is matter. Now, what makes this uh, difficult, what makes this challenging is that neither the Rambam nor Rabbi Yudah Levi, the author of the Kuzari, neither one of them were said, both of them said essentially, that by, by virtue of their intellect and by virtue of their logic, they cannot prove that Aristotle is incorrect. We know he's incorrect because the Torah tells us that that's incorrect. The Torah tells us that, or the, the Torah via Chazal, Torah Shubalpeh, tell us that creation was yesh me'ayin. So based on what we know from Torah, there is this principle of yesh me'ayin. But if one were to go ahead and explore the universe without taking the, uh, the, uh, the premise of, uh, of the Torah as our starting point, so the Rambam and the, the Kuzari both acknowledge that it may very well be that Aristotle would be correct that there's the eternity of God, there's the eternity of matter, God is the creator of all matter, but just like matter has been around for all time, God as the creator has been around for all time, and he doesn't see that as a stira, as something which is a refutable position at all. Neither the Rambam nor the Kuzari see that as a refutable position. So if that's true, so in the only way, the only reason we know that it's not true is because the Torah tells us that's so. So we have to wonder that uh, why, why exactly, what's the significance of, uh, of that? And why is it something which is so essential to our belief to say that if a person is not going to believe in, the, in God as a creator of yesh mayayin, that's going to undermine and that's going to uh, weaken one's worship and one's service of HaKadosh Baruch Why is it that so? Why is it that one is not going to be able to be a proper servant of Hashem without be- believing in Yesh um, Okay, I think uh, I'm going to leave you hanging uh, <laughs> for the next week as far as this is concerned, for you to contemplate it. Uh, as far as my notes are concerned, So this will take us, uh, it's a whole page of notes to go ahead and uh, to answer this. So I don't think that we, I don't wanna uh, rush through it in the next uh, two, three minutes and not to uh, not do justice to it. So I'll leave you being happy question for the next week. <laughs> uh, if the question is bothering you, thinking about, the, uh, thinking about that. And then uh, next week, we will uh, we'll bring you back into the fold and we will uh, make sure to, uh, to clarify that and explain why it is that it's, uh, it's so essential to, uh, to understand that Baruch Hu is the creator of Yeshmeyayim.
1: A real cliffhanger.
0: A real cliffhanger. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, what will you do if we don't show up next week? Uh, Baruch Hashem, we have recordings. So uh, you'll have be able to come, uh, you'll be able to pick it up at, 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 that, at that point. that point. Same time, uh, same station. Yeah, well, before before same time, same station next uh, next week. So Thursday, the Shiloh that we're going to be dealing with is we're still not going to get to the snow. We're, we're putting that on hold again. Uh, I'm sorry, Mel. Uh, the question is, uh, there is a, a boy who is a Baal And his father, uh, we'll talk about Thursday night, is is not well. And his father often asks for, after eating a fleshed meal, the father asks for ice cream. And due to this, the father's physical limitations, he can't get himself his own ice cream. And he asks the son to go ahead and give him the ice cream right after his fleshed meal. And the question is, is the son allowed to go ahead and give that ice cream to his father? Is he not allowed to give it to his father? What exactly the uh, the halachas are going to be? So we're going to explore that Shaila on uh, on Thursday session It's, it's not Milchik uh, ice, cream. Power, power ice you know. cream? power of ice cream. Power of ice cream. Power of all of us are ice cream lovers. Know that there's no comparison between power of ice cream and actual ice cream. It's not even mm-hmm. not even close. Okay. It's like a fake burger. It just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and this you, is fake, not what burgers. our favorite ice creams are? Who likes what? what we'll get some recommendations as who likes which ice cream best yeah right exactly all right y'all thank Thank you you. Mike. have a good night take care stay healthy and stay safe good to see everybody
1: be good if you can't be good be careful thank you